Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is Managing Director of Trailblazer Ventures CEO and Senior Director of RJ Ventures, Fielding Jameson. Fielding is a leading strategy, operations, and engagement executive who leverages their expertise of corporate innovation strategies to give startups the necessary fuel that they need to succeed. In her past life, Fielding led innovation programs for NBC Universal, Strategy at Comcast, leads venture strategy at RGA, most recently announced the launch of Trailblazer Venture CEO. I'm deeply honored to have you all hear her story. So without further ado, welcome Fielding. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to, to get started here. So I guess with that said, can you share with us a little background on yourself and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, I always like to start my story with I started um, at NBC in, a, in an emerging technology group. And at the time, that emerging technology was actually sending breaking news text messages. Um, so that probably shows my age a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it was a really interesting time. It was like a brand new group within NBC, more traditionally a creative creative company. And when Comcast came in and as it bought it and became the parent company, they said, you know, we really want you guys to be really tech forward and really think about how technology is going to be the future and integrate that in uh, a lot of your forward thinking plans. This new team was spun up and it was really exciting because we got to actually look at some new technologies, start to work with and talk to startups and so that was really my first entry into uh, the exciting world of startups. And I grew that passion and took that over to the Comcast side of the house where I was able to build what we now refer to as the front door for entrepreneurs and startups to engage with Comcast, NBC Universal. And uh, I'd always actually been tracking what RJ Ventures was doing in the space. They were the uh, first, you know, in the space working in sports tech, and that's a passion area of mine. I am a college, uh, old college athlete, love sports, and so was really excited to join the team about two and a half years ago to work on the Global Sports Venture Studio, which is where we actually bring a number of corporations, organizations, leagues, and teams in sports. We have to bring them all together to collaborate and innovate by exploring new emerging technologies and specifically working with startups. And it's there that I was able to kind of push my a personal agenda around women and looking at the intersection of women and sports and finding some amazing allies in that which led to launching our latest announcement, which is the Trailblazer Venture Studio, the first venture studio focused on that intersection of women and sports. So uh, brief background on kind of how, how I got to where I am now. Yes, there's a lot that we're going to need to unpack here because there's so many, so many different learnings and experiences that I'm sure that you've witnessed. And what's fantastic is that you have completely witnessed the full spectrum between helping and and helping and supporting founders, but then also on the other route with the venture and then also investment side. So on that note, I'd love to be able to pick your brain a little bit on what the broader picture is for those who may not know. Um, more specifically, starting off on the entrepreneurial side and 
just a quick little note to something like I'm always just incredibly fond of is that yes, the pandemic definitely had its uh, kind of suite of pros and cons, but one of the really fascinating outputs that we received from the pandemic is that it really started to spark this sense of entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism. Is that a word? Entrepreneur. I'm going to use it anyways if it's not. But. Yes, go for it. So it really started to to create the sense of confidence for people that wanted to start their own business and become their own CEOs and and be their own boss. So with that said, from the female female founder perspective, I believe I was as of 2019, more than a quarter of US startups had at least one female founder on the team. And over the past four years, the number of startups with at least one female founding member grew by approximately 6%. It was about 22% in 2017 and then 28% in 2020. So we're seeing this really positive positive shift. So in your perspective, how can we support in creating more female founders? Ooh, there's a lot to unpack there too, right? Because it's amazing that we've seen this growth of more women founders. Unfortunately, we haven't seen the same growth uh, in terms of the venture community investing in those women founders. Now there's been some, but not enough, right? And so, you know, I think ultimately when I think about women, women in general, and the idea of entrepreneurship, it is known in the data supports that women are ultimately less risk averse, right? Women usually are responsible um, for uh, their family. They're actually more, I think their stat is like over 80% of women actually kind of control the household from an income perspective um, in terms of um, how money is also being spent. And so, you know, I think that that just shows that that women are very good at, you know, looking at big picture things, understanding where to kind of place bets um, and are doing that in a safe manner. Being an entrepreneur is like the opposite of that. It is not safe, right? You you don't know uh, what's going to happen, and so I think that it can be hard to make that decision. Um, and our and you know biologically, brains aren't always wired from a woman's perspective to go out and and risk it all. And so I think that you know we need to constantly be doing everything we can um, to change that narrative a little bit. Um, and and this is starting at a young age, but to treat our, our girls and our women the same as we treat men, which is like, you know, go out, be be excited about something, be passionate, go for it. You know, don't be reserved. Don't hold back. If you see a problem, you go solve it. Don't wait for somebody to solve it. Right. And I think just kind of having that really positive, encouraging atmosphere again from when um, women are raised as little girls and having kind of that you know, be equal across both genders will actually help us uh, in the long run. I think we'll see a lot more women um, say, yeah, of course I can do that. I can start my own company. Like, I'm just going to go out and build that. I'm going to solve that problem myself. And so, you know, I think that there's there's that aspect. And then I, in terms of what we can do now, it's to support the women entrepreneurs that are out there. So we need more VC funding. We need more finance financial capital in any capacity coming towards women. We need more women investors, right? And so those are the types of things that if we start to solve that, if our generation can start to solve that now, I think we're going to see a lot more um, women entrepreneurs come up because they haven't, they, they don't see, you know, raising capital as a challenge because they didn't know that that was something that was really difficult to do in the past, right? So I think there's some things that we can do, you know, 
and as adults, the adults can do in the room. And then there's also things that we can do for the children growing up. Mm, that definitely makes sense. It, this is a very strange analogy, but I'm over here in Los Angeles and there's this strip called The Strand and you're, everybody's, it's just a wonderful place where you can run and bike and all of the things. And most recently I've been starting to see these little kids that are creating these lemonade stands and they're being their own business. They're trying to create something. They're probably about five or six year old, six years old. And it's so, so cute. But um, something that I most recently encountered or experience I recently encountered was um, last time I went for my run, there was this little lemonade stand and it was the brother that was managing it. And I witnessed it firsthand. The brother goes up to his little sister who was just standing next 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 to him and says, hey, uh, do you do you want to take care of this? Um, do you would you want to run this run the stand for a couple hours? And she lit up. She was so excited. She was like, yes, I can do it. Let me take this over. I can manage all the money. I can manage all the cash. And mind you, this young little girl is only five years old, but it really comes down to recognizing these opportunities and also amplifying those opportunities as well. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like we are going to um, respond to, you know, what we're what we all see. So if you see more women out there working, if you see more women being elevated um, and talked about if you see more women on TV, whether that's in sports or broadcast or wherever, right? Like all of those things really, really matter. And so, like, I am a huge believer in representation matters, and you need that representation in a number of different areas in your in life. And so, as if we can kind of continue to elevate um, women, but also you know all entrepreneurs who are out there making a difference because they are the ones out there saying, "No, I'm willing to kind of risk it all." Um, to make something better, to build something better, to not follow the status quo. If we were going to follow the status quo, then everyone would work for like six organizations and we would just kind of like be soldiers of those organizations and move forward. And instead, we live in an amazing society with millions of different types of companies to choose from, different career paths, all of these different things. Um, and that all started because someone someday was like, I don't like how that's going, or I think there's an opportunity here. Let me start something, right? And so um, entrepreneurship is so key, frankly, to I think, you know, what we stand for as a country and women deserve to be a part of that conversation just as much as any other gender. Completely, completely aligned. And I want to get your perspective on the other side of the table. You mentioned it, how we do need more female investors. And today, I believe women currently make up about 15% of general partners at VC firms. And we're also starting to see this upward rise of female angel investors as well. In your perspective, how would you encourage more women to become investors? What are the benefits? Oh, um, the, the overall, the benefits, I would say, are just diversification of your like, kind of growth portfolio, right? Not to be super like economic about it, but women, everybody should always be looking out for their future and thinking about what are different investment mechanisms I can do to make my money grow for me. And um, venture capital is one of those ways. I think personally, venture capital is one of the most exciting ways because you actually can be close to a company, be close to the founders, um, give advice, like watch watch a company grow, especially from an angel um, investment perspective, because 
you're doing, if you're an angel investor, you're probably getting in pretty early with a lot of these companies. They need a lot of help. And so they're leaning on their network of, of angels and the people who invested in them for that help. So you can really be a part of it. You know, I own stock in Apple. I'm not a part of the decision making that's happening in Apple, right? Um, but I'm a, you know, a, a small angel investor in a couple of companies, and I am on the quarterly like email updates. I am lending my um, experience and um, expertise in certain areas, and that's really fun. And it really is very cool to be a part of something like that. And so um, I recognize that ultimately being an angel investor means you need money. Um and a little bit, frankly, like you need disposable income, right? You need to be ready to, it's risky. You need to be ready to let that go. Uh, but it is worth it if you are at that stage in your life where you do have some um, extra cash to potentially be putting in different investment mechanisms. I would really encourage women um, to take a look at investing in startups and doing it through um, there's so many great angel investment groups, right? You don't have to go at it um, on your own. You can join one of these groups and learn how um, that works and um, really start to understand kind of the opportunity and the, frankly, the like returns that could come from that. For those that may be very, very new into the investment world, where, where should they start? How can they get started into this? How can they learn more? Yeah, there's so many great resources. And this is where I'm like, the internet can be your best friend. I mean, honestly, you could probably go on YouTube and like a 15 year old is, could probably explain um, this better than I can. But I think there are some tips that have helped me. Um, and some books, frankly, that have helped me kind of um, over the years. One of them is The Secrets of Sand Hill Road by Scott Cooper, who um, is a venture capitalist at one of the best, biggest venture capital firms, Andreessen Horowitz, or A2Z, as, as it's more commonly referred to. Um, that book is a really, it really um, is like 101 of venture capital. And it's a great, actually, it's fantastic for uh, people trying to learn about venture capital. It's also fantastic for entrepreneurs who are seeking to get venture capital, because it really gives you an inside look of um, what uh, this space looks like and like what a lead top VC is, is looking at and what's important to them. And it's not always what you think. And so um, I really, really um, like that book. I had an opportunity actually to interview Scott about it. And, and, um, and he was just, you know, really honest about that, you know, he wanted people to um, have the exposure and the opportunity to learn about this world that for a long time has kind of been um, behind closed doors. And he felt like this book was really kind of getting, I mean, it literally is called The Secrets, right, of Sand Hill Road. And so he really felt like this was a way to kind of democratize access to some of that insider knowledge that has been held, um, again, by uh, a you know, a, a few people and most of those being white, white men. That's amazing. That was uh, funny. When I first decided that I really was so interested in just becoming an investor and going to the VC route, just learning more. That was one of the first books that I found on Google because I Google searched. And I was like, how do I get into this? Um, and that was the first book. It was a wonderful read. Thank you. Thank you for the, the recommendation. And on that note then, so we talked about your world in the investment space, but you also have a really interesting world that you're operating in as well, which is women's sports and women in sports. So let's kind of talk about a little bit. Speaking broadly, 
I hear that there is a difference between the term women in sports, because it's a sports business side, front office opportunities, and then there's also women sports itself. Can you talk about, in your perspective, what are the differences between those two? And also, more importantly, what we should do better to create equitable opportunities for both sides? Sure. So we view it as um, almost like four buckets, and then and really the last one terminology to kind of include everything. So I'll start the first one, um, women in sports, again, referring to, usually referring to women working in the sports industry, um, from everything from actually being, you know, a coach of, of a team or being in the actual corporate office of a league or team. Um, those are women who are kind of working every day behind the scenes sometimes, and sometimes again, more out front as potentially a coach. Um, in sports. There's women's sports, which is, of course, really the kind of more referred to as when women are actively playing a sport. Um, And right now, you're seeing a lot of people talk about women's sports in the more elite way. And so the new, you know, all of the women's leagues, um, like the, you know, National Women's Soccer League, the WNBA, um, the um, LPGA, you know, all of the kind of women's equivalent of a lot of the male leagues that you've been hearing about for a very, very long time, right? We're now just starting to really hear about those women's leagues and the individual athletes um, that are a part of those those leagues, which is super exciting. Um, then there's also the um, female fandom and the idea of like women as fans of sports. And that doesn't have to be women who are fans of just women's sports or women who are just fan, just fans of men's sports, just women who are sports fans, um, which is a huge market that I think, um, and the data has, you know, supported this, have been really left out of the conversation. Um, you know, for so long, people felt uh, that putting out like one pink jersey a year and having like ladies night at a sports stadium was a way to engage their female fans. And that ultimately is just not true. Um, and so, you know, those are kind of three, the three buckets when I think of women relating to sports. And then what we're, uh, what we focus on and what the Trailblazer Venture Studio focuses on is something we say women and sports. And it's the idea that we want to look at the entire intersection of women and sports. And it includes all of those buckets that I talked about. Um, because we think that the entire industry, uh, when it co- the entire sports industry needs a massive lift when it comes to engaging with women. Um, and it doesn't just start with one of those areas. It starts with all three. That's fantastic. I've actually never heard it be so eloquently spoken to or even categorized in that way because it really starts to address the true opportunities at hand that everybody can get involved into women's sports and women in sports and women and sports. So there's all these different opportunities. So one thing that you just mentioned of how incredibly important it is that's still truly untapped is the notion of women just being fans of sports, the women fan base. And you and I definitely agree that there's a clear opportunity for even brands to more effectively speak to their female fan base. So what are some immediate ways that you would recommend for brands to better and honestly more meaningfully connect with their female fan base? Sure. There's um, a couple of things that come to mind. One is I'm, you know, I think 
the highest touch experience for a fan is the stadium experience, right? That's when it's like they, the, the team is really putting out all the stops because they want to make that like the most fun and engaging um, time. And so you keep coming back and buying tickets, right? It's a huge revenue driver. Um, and so they, I think I would say start with well, taking a look at your um, stadium experience, you know, how are the women's bathrooms? Do I have a place to put my purse? Um, are you giving away menstruation products? Are you, um, do you have a nice room for women who are breastfeeding to potentially step out? You know, if you're at a baseball game, they're three hours long. Like that is the normal cycle for a woman to potentially have to pump during that time. Um are, are there fun um, beverages to drink, you know? And this is something that we've seen actually been a, a huge uptick in stadiums, right? For the longest, longest, longest time, it was just like, you know, beer. Beer was associated with sports. Um, and that's what you drank when you went to one of these games. And then slowly we started to see wine. And now we're seeing this huge uptick in seltzers. And I would say, you know, some more female-friendly um beverage choices. Now, again, that doesn't mean that women don't want to drink beer. There are plenty of women that do. Um, but when you look at the the data and the things that women find, um, you know, that they are maybe more attracted to in an alcoholic drink or even food choices, those differ than, than men. Um, so I think that would be a great place to start for these teams to kind of look at, like, what is your, your stadium experience? Um, and then that goes all the way to retail, right? So, um, Probably less than 5% of fan bases ever get to go to a game. So I understand that, you know, um, that doesn't hit all of the fans that you need to. And so taking a look at, like, what are some other ways that um, women often like to express themselves and express fandom? And some of that, and a lot of that is through clothing and jewelry. And, um you know, there are some brands who are do doing it and teams that are doing it really well and have made some big strides in here. And then there are others where you go to their fan shops and it's just really difficult to find something um, that would just maybe be like a normal black t-shirt with, you know, the sports logo on it that's just in a women's size. Um there's just a lot happening in the merch space, and and um, I just find it, you know, fascinating. But a good example of female fandom, I think, um, being expressed through something like clothing and and um, accessories is the W. Excuse me, the NBA partnered with Babble Bar, which for those who aren't familiar, is a really like fun jewelry direct to consumer jewelry company that had a huge boom in the last, you know, call it a decade. And they partnered with Babel Bar and created this like really fun line of jewelry for all of the NBA teams. And it did well and they've done it again. And, you know, I think that for me, that was a real sign of going instead of the NBA going like, oh, we know how to do this. So like, we're going to just create the gear. They actually partnered with a company that was already speaking to women who already knew what women, their their customer base liked, and they partnered with them to create something that felt brand relevant to the MBA, but also female relevant um, for Babel Bar's audience. And so I think the power of partnerships um, and meeting your consumer where they already are is very important, not just for women, but for really anybody. And so if you don't have that experience, then partner with somebody who does. Um, 
And that can really kind of help um, actually reach your intended audience. Yeah, you're touching on some incredible, incredible recommendations too, by the way. And what I love about them almost like this common thread that you're speaking to is that it's really just becoming more intentional about the way women already behave and their interest types. It's not about trying to completely reinvent the wheel and do everything by yourself as well, just because you know, because quote unquote, you know exactly what they like and you know exactly what they like to do, what their behaviors are. Um, the, the power of partnership is really going to be one of the biggest drivers when it comes to creating a meaningful connection, it sounds like. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great, great summary. So one thing I definitely wanted to pick your brain on here, and this one is still sort of a touchy subject for me as well, but and I'm sure we can chat about it. But when we first chatted, uh, we talked about that quote, what is good can live alongside what is profitable. And also, by the way, since you've mentioned that to me, I've just like ingrained that statement into, into my brain. And when we think about that quote and this broader opportunity of women and sports, Right now, there are some perceptions that it feels like more of a philanthropic effort to support women's sports and women in sports. What do you think about this? What can we do to change this perception? Yes. Um, It took us a while to really come to that language and thinking about it. And honestly, it took that episode and billions for me to hear that quote, what is good can live alongside what is profitable to really hone in on like the struggle that that I was facing and hearing in the marketplace, which is like, we, the Trailblazer Venture Studio, which is supported by Elysian Park Ventures, a top sports VC, Billie Jean King, an absolute icon on and off um, the court, and the LA Dodgers, and then obviously RGA Ventures, coming together because we believe the biggest growth opportunity in sports is women. This is, these are not organizations who are coming together because Um, we had um, a DEI budget that we needed to spend. These are organizations that have come together to to say, not only is it right to invest in women as equally as people have previously invested in men when it comes to sports, but we believe it is also very profitable. And those things, unfortunately, and it's not just in sports, it's really kind of any company that gets categorized as mission-driven, people hear that and they feel that it means that it's not profitable. And that's just not true. Uh, And I think that we can continue to kind of point to the data to showcase that, especially in the women in sports space. Um, Data, I think, has been women's best friend. And, you know, now that we're just have so many different ways to collect data um, and they have so many different platforms now, it's not just broadcast linear TV. Um, it's all of these different uh, things that we can point to to say, like, women's viewership is, is up. Or wait, if you actually put women's sports at a normal time on TV, people do watch. I don't think anyone is watching on a Saturday at 9 a.m you know, for, for games, right? What men's leagues were never given that time slot. So we don't even know. We have no, no benchmark. You can't compare. That's comparing apples and oranges in a linear, a linear world. And so, you know, I think that how, um, you know, a founder, Haley Rosen for Just Women's Sports, she said this really well to me um, when she, you know, set out to build a company that just talks about women's sports is that it's all about hype and not guilt. 
you will never see their company to be talking about, oh, you should do this, you should do that. You know, their philosophy is like the numbers speak for themselves, the athletes speak for themselves, the games speak for themselves. And so what we're going to do is just have a platform that highlights all of that because we're confident that when people are exposed to this, they're going to love it just as much as they love men's men's sports. And I think that that really hit me and has rang true and have what is ultimately also what we've tried to do um, with this studio and how we think about moving this industry forward is it's about exposure and it's about uh, giving the companies, in our case, it's about actually giving the startups and the companies who have put women first or put women of equal status to men when they've built their products and services. And this is not a crazy idea, right? This really just comes back to this idea of like inclusive design. You should be designing your product and service for everyone, black, white, Hispanic, men, male, female, transgender, whatever. You need to be thinking about all of those different people when you're designing a product. And by the way, in order to properly do that, you need to have a team that actually reflects that diversity as well. So there's just, there's a, there's a lot there um, uh, that can be done to help, you know, to help that, uh, to help that space. Yes. And if I, if I kind of take this back a little bit to, you're really just touching on the importance that content and education have to actually build and create a community. Because if we can highlight the work that's already being made, if we can recognize the opportunities and just be able to share the stories, whether that's through actual like digital content and streaming, but then also just educating consumers too of the facts and what's actually happening in real life, then people are automatically going to become more educated and also ultimately more aware of what really was the opportunity at hand. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The more that we can, you know, talk about things and surface things and have exposure to things, the more people are going to be aware of it. Even literally someone who's like, I've never turned on a, a sports game. I've never seen anything. I guarantee you that they could at least name one sports team in their city that they live in. And I guarantee you, or I'm not going to guarantee, but I would be a, I would bet that it's not a women's team. So like, let's just start there, right? Like our cities, our, our government needs to be hyping up their women's teams as much as they're hyping up their men's. You can go to any um, store in New York City, any like gift store, or whatever, at the airport, you can buy a Yankees hat anywhere in this city. I have never seen a Gotham FC, the women's soccer team, hat or jersey or t-shirt anywhere in any of those stores, right? So there's there's just this level of like, the fact is people just aren't exposed. And not only are now people not exposed to women's sports, there's also been this like kind of terrible, and this is for someone much smarter than me to really like study why this is, but this terrible untruth that women are less than when it comes to sports. We're not as good athletes or the games are not as exciting or the storylines don't run as deep. And frankly, like none of that is true. Um, and so we need to correct that. And by the way, this has been going on for generations. And so it's going to take some time. Uh, something that really hit me very hard the other week was I had the opportunity to sit down with Billie Jean King, who is part of the studio. 
and she was saying, you know, I'm just so excited that I'm alive to see this moment in time that women are starting to be more recognized when it comes to sports. And I was like, wow, can you imagine being someone who has fought for something for 50, even longer than that, 60 plus years um, and has like poured and it still is and still is fighting this. Um, And to think that it wasn't, she was like never going to see that day. And now she really feels like we are, we are just, we are there. We're at this tipping point. I was like, so, um, you know, uh, excited about that, but then also a little saddened to be like, wow, like that is crazy that someone who has like worked so hard and frankly made so many strides for, for women, um, in sports and outside of sports, you know, to think that they were never going to kind of see this day come. So it's, it's still a long road. Like we are still, unfortunately, even with all this great attention that we're getting, we're still early days and we need to keep at it. Well, along those same lines then on the work that we can start doing today to actually create a more equitable sports world and a more equitable world in general, we've talked about it a lot, the Trailblazer Ventures Studio. My goodness, congratulations on the launch. I have to keep saying that because it's so exciting. But for those who are still trying to get to learn a little bit more about it, can you talk about it a little bit more? What's the mission? And then also to the future that you're hoping to create? Yeah, absolutely. Um, ultimately I'll even just start with like the future. We're trying to create a more equitable future when it comes to sports for, for women. Um, and this venture studio is one of the ways that we, this group of partners, again, RJ Ventures, Elysian Park Ventures, the LA Dodgers and Billie Jean King Enterprises. This is the way that we feel we can have the most impact in this space by doing it. And so the Um, Venture Studio is going to focus on a select number of startups that are going to be um, work in a sprint fashion with um, those four organizations for over about a three month period and receive, you know, three sources of capital um, as a part of that. The first will be uh, relationship capital. So we will be pooling every single person that we know in the sports world. And I am like, give me someone that those four organizations can't touch. And I would be shocked. Um, But we are going to be banging down doors for for companies uh, that, again, are putting women at the forefront of their thinking when it comes to sports. These don't have to be, it doesn't, you don't have to be a female founder. You don't um, have to be building a product just for women. We just ask that you are building a product and service that um, represents and has taken into account the female lens um, when it comes to a sports product or service. And so, and that needs to be reflected, as I mentioned, um, you know, not only in your product, but also in your team, right? We need to see that that, that's a serious commitment there. And so, um, you know, these, these startups who are doing that, who sit at that intersection of women in sports, we're going to give them, as I started to say, relationship capital, really banging down doors for these companies to make business development opportunities happen. That's going to be a real chunk of this because, um, you know, ultimately right or raw, I mean, we know it's wrong, um, but the industry has not always celebrated startups that are putting women as their core audience. I mean, we've seen this and now we're in a huge space, like femtech is a huge thing. It's like women's health didn't just like last year become a thing. It just happened to be that more women started to go, I'm going to start solving this problem myself. 
And then people started to recognize the that. But I also I think that that also goes along with the fact of your stats that you said in the beginning about number more of women working in VCs, because now someone in the room actually understands what these products are talking about. And so what we were dealing with is we feel that some of these companies have been left out of conversations because they've come with a, a very female forward lens. We're changing that game and we are going to create these opportunities for them through um, this relationship capital. The second thing is creative capital. So um, with RGA Ventures, we are part of um, RGA, one of the biggest marketing agencies in the entire world. We have the most talented people working at that company in brand messaging, verbal design, all of these amazing creative services. We're going to work on a bespoke project with every single startup who's going to be getting the same type of resources that some of the biggest brands in the world are getting. And then third, financial capital. And this is where it's super exciting to be partnered um, with such a um, powerhouse VC like Elysian Park because they're stage agnostic. And so what that means is that we can work with any company, we can bring in any company at any stage, and we're going to invest alongside your valuation um, and be a part of, of that. We're not taking any sort of you know equity for a, a, a set amount. Every single investment in each of these companies will be different. That's the whole point of a venture studio is that each um, individual startup will have a very unique um, and bespoke engagement with all of these partners. This isn't some like kind of like blanket program. It's really the idea um, to seed Elysian Park's thesis, um, investment thesis, that this um, is a huge you know growth opportunity. And so um, that's what we're really looking to do um, over that that twelve week period. As I said, that's the sprint. And then of course our engagement with these these um, companies. Um, uh, happens for much longer than that, but we like to give that time box approach so people can really dive in, get very excited, start those all of those threads, and then we continue that follow up kind of as the studio goes on. My gosh, I don't even know what else to say with this. I think what excites me the most is that it really starts to revolutionize thinking for not only the founder's lens, but also for the investment world as well, because it starts to actually put in this notion that this is possible. Not only is this not possible, but it is also a really, really exciting time for people to actually put some fuel to fire and helping these organizations that are targeting and addressing these challenges that we've been facing for so long. So I'm, I'm so excited for you guys. Congratulations again. And on that note, while, while we wrap up this episode, final question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur or executive, what would you share with them? At RG Ventures, we talk about something that's called creating a minimum viable brand. Um, and what that is, is it's a kind of a play off of a minimum viable product. Because everyone in the startup world has heard about how to build a minimum viable product. Um, but, you know, from a creative perspective, we also think that, um, you know, creating a brand um, holistically is very important. One of the key components of that is knowing and creating a purpose. And I think that that is very critical for entrepreneurs. Um, to have when they are setting out to build a company because you're going to get a lot of feedback from a lot of people. It's going to be from your family, your friends, competitors, your 
your investors, all these different people who are going to be saying, you should do this. This should be that. You should, why is this like that? Right. Um, and when you also are building your company, this happens a lot. You go to, uh, you know, potentially a big fish and say, and they say, this is great, but you know what would be even better if you could do X, Y, Z. And I've seen so many entrepreneurs because they're trying to chase that big, big fish uh, or land that big fish, I think is the better analogy, um, is that they um, set off on a path to, to build that, that XYZ and it actually detracts from where they were trying to go in the first place. And so I think it's really important to sit down and think about what is the purpose of your company? What are you driving towards? And I'll give a quick example. Um, uh, Nike, for example, ha you know, is a company that could and can sometimes be described as like shirts and shoes. Like they could just say, oh, yeah, we're like a company that sells shirts and shoes. And instead, their purpose is to like inspire every athlete. And then they take it a step further and say that, and they define every athlete as anyone with a body. So it, it's kind of like, what's that North Star of that company? Like, what are you really trying to solve? It's not just that, like, Nike saw an opportunity to create cool shirts and shoes, right? That wasn't their purpose, kind of, for, for starting the company. Their purpose was to innovate and inspire athletes innovate for and inspire athletes. So I think that would be my number one piece of advice uh, for just entrepreneurs is to really think about, you know, what is that greater purpose? And you're probably not going to have it on day one because many, many amazing companies are built trying to just solve a problem that they see in the market. But as you start to kind of build it, really just try to think about what's that purpose because it can be a really great guiding um, light and also be a great way to say no. To things, which entrepreneurs sometimes aren't great at. Um, so if it doesn't kind of fit within that that North Star, that guiding light, it can be a really great way for you to say no. You know, that distracts us from this kind of like what we've set out to do. Um, and so you can kind of put your head down and keep moving forward. This is fantastic. It, it's definitely aligned with something that my mother taught me early on. Purpose fuels passion. Once you have your purpose, you've got your passion, then you've got performance and it all comes together. I love it. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Gilbane, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out Trailblazer Venture Studio, the first venture studio focused on the biggest opportunity in sports, women. Looking to hear more about happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.